tea, which is the green tea, ginseng and honey mix. Yeah. Price on the can. Yeah, price is on the can. Make sure those oxidants don't get the better of me, so it antioxidates, which is always good. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word, Brian. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I didn't really get time to watch a lot of things except for all the new announcements that Blizzard brought out at BlizzCon. I was at BlizzCon on Friday and Saturday. Just uh, three quick takeaways I would have from it. Probably the best um, organized convention and just the best convention experience I've ever had. So it's definitely worth going to. Um, all the headaches you have at a convention, you usually don't have it. You didn't have it this one, which is really good. Um, Blizzard's a cinematic for uh, Battle for Azeroth, the next World of Warcraft expansion, is probably one of the best pieces of video I've seen this year. Uh, definitely check it out if you haven't. And lastly, California food is mad expensive. I paid $23 for a six-inch personal pizza. And so <laughs> it blew my mind how expensive it was to eat out there. I can understand why everybody's so skinny and eating wheatgrass out there. Was it flakes of gold? <laughs> no, it was just cheese and sausage. <laughs> was it another pizza on top of that pizza? <laughs> there was not. <laughs> well, I'm glad to. Uh, I'm glad that you're, you know, talking like actually drinking Arizona iced tea. Prices on a can. Hashtag Arizona iced tea. Hashtag price on a can. Uh, hashtag help us out. Hashtag yeah, sponsor. Hashtag sponsor. Money. Uh, hashtag money. Uh, hashtag money. Uh, <laughs> I'm also glad that you went to uh, BlizzCon because I know that like, I just loved like watching a bunch of your uh, like just bunch of your. I think it was like either Snapchat or you had it on Instagram. I didn't know what the heck was going on in half those ones, but it looks like a lot of people were tweeting like public tweeting and like just tweeting about it too. So I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, and one last thing I'll add is um, Blizzard definitely makes esports feel just as good as real sports. Uh, that arena that I had for Overwatch was amazing. 
the if you ever get a chance to look up Blizzard Overwatch Seoul, uh, South Korea versus USA BlizzCon 2017, it will get you excited to watch esports and even be a participant and a fan of esports. Like how I'm rocking my Boston Uprising hat. I'm ready for the season that starts December 7th, so I can't wait to see it. Nice. Are you supposed to smoke e-cigs while you watch esports? You can if you want to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian, for that. <laughs> I want to toss it over to the most beautiful and handsome man and handsome Mike that I know on the face of the earth. And man, does he look tan and jacked today with his cutoff sleeves. Mike Blewett, how's it going, man? Ooh, I'm doing tasty right now. So apparently no one's going to pay attention to our video portion of this podcast because uh, they would immediately know that we're all just skinny. Yeah. Muscle-wise. Muscle-wise. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty hefty around the mid, midriff, but muscly, not, not happening. Um, I'm doing real good right now. Uh, just absolutely freaking amazing um, because the Buffalo Bills lost this week. Thank God. Ow. Yeah. Um, so. Shit. Go ahead. <laughs> as far as uh, you know, the what you've been watching, what you've been drinking, uh, I um, need to do a full podcast on this, but have been watching the Inhumans. I, you know, let that go for a couple weeks and kind of caught back up. Me, me, and Mocha pretty much just have to get absolutely blitzed and just scream oh, into a microphone for about an hour and a half. About if anyone wants to hear me scream till I cry on a podcast, that will be, <laughs> be the one. So th- that one. Uh, also, first of all, haven't watched the finale yet. Uh, the reason I haven't watched the finale is because they debuted it on the same day that Thor released, which might be like the stupidest decision I've. Like you just all you had to do is like just put a filler, you know, just be like, all right, you know, Inhumans will be back next week. It's not like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is coming out next week. It's coming out in December. Like, they have they have gaps. Like, I can't believe that the same company, uh, over the top of the, everything, decided to put the same two in-universe, like, IPs competing against each other. It's like, obviously, your rating's going to suck that night. Um, I'll see it eventually, in which case, I'll start crying. Uh, so, as far as what I'm drinking, I got some Big Elm Brewing IPAs. Uh, apparently they're from the Berkshires in Massachusetts, which is really pretty. Come spend a vacation there and give us your money. Are you from the Berkshires? No, but I, I'm from Massachusetts, and I think that the more money going into Massachusetts, the better. <laughs> I don't, I never, I got a music degree, everyone. <laughs> I don't have, I, I'm not an economics major. Clearly. <clears throat> this but is a beautiful Rosalind nail. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm uh, counting the time in which I'm moving out of Massachusetts because I hate everybody here. Mocha, how's it going? Good to see you. Love seeing your face. And you are actually looking great today. Uh, oh, like thank you. So, what's I needed up? that. I needed, I needed that. Of course. Uh, what you been watching and uh, what you sipping on tonight? Sure. So, uh, as far as what I've been watching, I recently went to the theaters to see uh, this movie called My Friend Dahmer. It was this limited release film um, that was released only in one theater in New York at the time, and a friend of mine actually came from out of state to see it, so I decided to tag along. And it was really interesting. It was a movie based on a graphic novel 
recounting the early like high school life of one Jeffrey Dahmer. You may or may not know of him from his many, many killings and murders and uh, corpse rapes. Um, but it follows his, his young childhood and it gives you a lens into what the life was like for this neglected and somewhat abused child who wound up growing up to be one of the most, if not the most notorious mass murder or serial killer in American history. And it was really cool. For someone who didn't know the actual story already behind Jeffrey Dahmer's childhood before he got into killing, it was really tense for me. I didn't know what was going to come or if, you know, how things would, would play out. Um, and it really maintained the tension really well, but also painted this really sad picture of a number of environmental factors that if they were different, who knows how his life would have turned out. Um, so it was really cool to see. And if it ever gets a wider release or winds up on digital, I would definitely encourage people to watch it. Um, as for what I'm drinking, I've got here a nice wine called 19 Carriers. Well, 19 Crimes, there we go. It's hard to read the print there. It's, uh, it's an Australian wine, come from southeastern Australia, and uh, it's a red wine, and I'm drinking it in honor of our Australian of the night, Mr. Chris Hemsworth. So, uh, cheers, mates. Is that Chris Hemsworth on the label? It is, it is. It's actually his uh, ancient great-great-great-great-grandfather. It's 1788's Chris Hemsworth. Um, <laughs> significantly less jacked because they didn't have protein bars back then. Of course not. And he was a prisoner. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it definitely the protein bars that makes uh, uh, Hemsworth a Hemsworth. That's how I got where I, where I am. And uh, I have to say, uh, big shout out to you because that was a pretty spot on Australian accent. So that Ooh. was good. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Uh, and of course, always great to have you on. Great to see your face. Really hope I can see it more. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Uh, I'm, but besides these three guys, I'm with my best friend, Mr. Andrew Abbott. How's it going, man? That's me. I'm your best friend. I feel so much better already because I was, you know, thinking that we were getting ready for that divorce, but things are looking up. I'm doing, I'm doing great. There's a big uh, D word there, huh? <laughs> oh, it's always a big D. Hello. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm drinking that uh, Seagram 7 uh, uh, whiskey, American Spice whiskey, straight because it's the cheapest thing they had at the, the packy down the street. Um, and I recently watched, uh, Blade of the Immortal at the local indie theater, because it's one of the only places that could, uh, uh show it around here. It's great. I have, uh, another review that we're going to put out about it, so I'm not going to talk too much about it, but definitely go see it. Incredible movie. Uh, I also recently breezed through, um, I don't know if it's the entire season, but I think I'm 10 episodes into American Horror Story, the most recent, um, uh, season, and I'm usually, like hot or cold on that show, but this season has been completely balls-to-the-wall, wacky as hell, and I love it. There's been some great acting performances, but it's also creepy and bizarre, and there's a lot of, like, strange things happening and, like, brutal scenes going on, so if you're into that, check it out. Um, apparently, they can say the F-word on FX now, so that's cool. Ooh. Yeah. If it's nice. the regular FX or, like, the other one? I don't the know. FX. I think, I think yeah. they show it late enough at night that they can, they can do it. Yeah. A, a lot of channels are starting to loosen up with that. I know AMC announced this year that they were using the word fuck for uh, Walking Dead for this season, which is huge for our fans of the comic because the main the, the main villain at the moment, Negan, is That's all about sense. curse words. Yeah, it's like fuck, 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 fuck. So are they gonna Are they gonna start doing what they do for R-rated movies, where like they can only have a certain amount? Because I think that was the thing where like uh, wasn't it Breaking Bad got one F word a year. And so really? you had to strategically put it in, and that was yeah, oh yeah, no that that definitely was true. They so they got one F word a year, and uh, one season they wasted it, 
like, but very humorously. Like, usually it was at, like, a very tense, tense moment. And uh, I, th- I think, oh, I think it was, like, season five or the first half of season six. There was just, like, a random just, oh, what the fuck? And that was it. That was the only one they could use. And, like, they couldn't, in any of the other tense moments, they couldn't say it. Blewett, are you telling me that they had a um, concrete number of fucks to give? They did. It was one. They had one fuck to give, uh, and they gave it well. That's what I say. I mean, most of us can relate to only getting one fuck a year, right? <laughs> if that. And welcome to the down front. Very good that part. Uh, thank you so much, Abbott, for hanging out. I'm super pumped. I'm super pumped for our ultra special guest. Arguably, I think this is his first podcast ever, as he and his band, his band, is getting ready to go on tour. Yeah. I have Dan Bob from Active Observer here hanging out with us tonight. How's it going, man? Real good. Ooh. How is everyone uh, on the internet right now? They're all great, every one of them. What are you, uh, what are you drinking? And besides store, what uh, what have you been watching? Uh, um, anything. So I'm drinking a Narragansett lager. I can't see this, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, as far as what I've been watching... I'm pretty sure everyone here has Stranger Things. Uh, Mocha's not done with Stranger Things yet, but he's on it. I'm pretty sure Blue hasn't even started yet. But I I did see Thor Ragnarok a couple nights ago. And uh, uh, I I guess I wasn't aware of what I was getting into. Okay. Because I, yeah, I had only seen the first one, and I probably saw it like eight years ago. Or whenever the heck it came out. Probably came out by eight years ago, so that's fair. And, um, so this was, uh, very different. (laughs) I mean, fair enough. I didn't hate it, but there were some things that, like, didn't sit well. Okay. It's a movie that exists. Cool. So, uh, of course, thanks for hanging out with us. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I am your Warren. I am your host. Uh, I am currently sipping on a red blend called Barrel Axe, uh, from California. It's pretty. It's actually pretty good. It's a pretty cheap wine. Uh, I always try to kind of get these bottles that's under kind of ten bucks, so I'm still like on that actual entire thing. Um, so this bottle, I think, is like maybe four or five bucks from um, Trader Joe's, and you know it's pretty balanced. It starts off pretty heavy, but it also kind of mellows out. It's pretty smooth, kind of a little bit of vanilla, pretty strong in the bear, but it also kind of goes away pretty quickly. Um, and it's a really nice wine just to kind of start. People call them table wines, but I just like to call them party wines because after six or seven bottles, you don't even know what you're drinking anymore. So definitely try it out. Uh, and uh, as, as far as I've been watching, I'm excited to talk about our, uh, a bit of a new segment that we're going to be talking with our Patreon subscribers of. I'm going to be going over a movie in a review with called Leap this week, so definitely stay tuned for that. Because that movie was much better than Jigsaw and The Foreigner. So uh, <laughs> keep an eye out for that as well for our Patreon subscribers. Uh, and as far as the other movie I've seen, me and Abbott saw a couple of horror movies. One that I'm not going to talk about at all because I'm not sure if people can even handle that. Uh, but we actually, I finally got a chance to rewatch, uh, and I would say everybody, if you haven't seen The Diary of I almost said the diary of Anne Frank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's completely different. Uh, if you haven't seen the autopsy of Jane Doe, 
It is a bit difficult to actually get your hands on because you either have to buy it, I think, or rent it. Yeah, they took it off a lot of places yeah. recently. So I think you actually only can buy it as of right now, which is kind of a bummer. Maybe not um, eat dinner while you're watching it. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't eat dinner. Uh, but this is uh, arguably a movie that really does well not knowing anything going into it. And I think I, I wouldn't even like watch the trailer. And even if you did watch the trailer, I don't think he even gave it away at all. Um, this movie was, may have been, I wish I've seen it when it came out last year, 2016. It would have been one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, especially because I don't even like that much horror, uh, movies at all. Like, I know Get Out was, like, pretty up there for right now, and it's kind of tough to kind of compare with that. But this movie, like, literally has a bit of everything. It's very fun to watch. I would say any horror movie you have a chance to watch, please watch it with Abbott, because it makes it that much better when shit just goes down. Um, so thank you for that. And okay, that the touch game? No, we didn't know you. I wouldn't suggest playing the mustache. Well, maybe we rubbed ours together. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, yeah. we rubbed mustaches, but we didn't play the, the official mustache. It's a variation of the mustache game. Uh, but this movie was good. It's a horror movie, and it's like it's a, it's a bit on, on the serious side. Uh, so I don't normally you want to play the mustache game on a uh, more of a comedic movie. So. Uh, that is on, uh, you know, the autopsy of Jane Doe. Um, that is, I think you can probably have to buy it somewhere. Hopefully, uh, they have it like kind of pretty cheap. Black Friday's coming up, so maybe they have it on like a Blu-ray. You can probably get it cheap there. So definitely kind of keep an eye out for that. Cause I think that's actually a movie I may go back and actually buy, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of rewatch it because they do some very, very interesting things in that movie. That is pretty cool. So uh, we're excited. We're pumped. I'm actually way more excited to talk about this movie than I do want to kind of give ourselves a bit of an intermission for right now because we're going to get into the the nitty-gritty, the meat and potatoes of Thor Ragnarok, directed by Taika Waititi, starring a bunch of amazing people that we're going to get into a little bit later. So if you haven't seen Thor Ragnarok, you can skip the first two because no one cares. Uh, I would say pause the movie and pause this podcast right now. Go watch the movie, come back, and then you hit play and keep going. So with that, we will see you in a moment as we're going to hit play on Thor Ragnarok. Cosmic Universe is really cool. It's very colorful. It's very 
epic. Uh, there's a lot of weird, crazy stuff that they haven't really. They do a great job of making you feel like uh, this is a fantastical world that you want to explore and everything. Like uh, I think a lot of their uh, visual nods are to things like heavy metal or Flash Gordon, which is really cool. And they actually take those aesthetics and just make them better than what they actually were back then. So if Guardians of the Galaxy was one version of a story that could happen in this cosmic universe, this is actually another take. It's like another location in the same place. So it feels like you're kind of familiar with it, but it's definitely its own tale as well. Um, I really like the... um, how Taika Waititi just ingrains the, his style of humor into this uh, movie. Uh, him being from New Zealand, like if you look at his past works, uh, they like to like just focus on like what's really there in front of you and have a lot of dry wit behind it. Like one of my favorite scenes is when Thor is talking to Sorter at the beginning and he's spinning around the chains and he's like, "Oh wait, <laughs> I can't see you now. Uh, just give it a moment." And that's just like classic, like humor that he does which is phenomenal brown my my favorite uh, again i kind of knew that the humor was going to be on point uh when he spun around and serta goes thor son of odin and thor just goes serta son of a bitch (laughs) like (laughs) to me that was that was just like the at that point i was like all right this movie is all this all this press that i've been hearing about how funny this film is going to be is absolutely true yeah, and even Taika gets into some of the actions, just not behind the camera. He's also the voice of Korg, the rock monster that's in the uh, gladiator pits as well. And it's funny to see like this big giant rock monster, and all of a sudden it's this uh, very uh, soft Kiwi accent come out of them. It's just like, <laughs> oh hi, I'm just uh, I'm uh, joining a revolution, and I'm starting a revolution today. Would you like to join us? It's just very funny to see that come out of him. The part when he was like, oh, yeah, and then my mom was there with, with her new boyfriend, but I don't like him. <laughs> um, I'd also say along with, like, this kind of 70s sci-fi style, like, the score of this uh, film is awesome. It's one of the more memorable Marvel scores that came from Mark Motherball of uh, Devo, and it has a lot of these nice, like, synths that you would never um, hear out of, a, like, a modern-day movie, but they actually make it work really well for this film. Uh, And then for the actors, I would say um, Chris Hemsworth is, I mean, just charming and funny all throughout. We saw a glimpse of how funny he could be in the Ghostbusters film earlier this year. Uh, And then uh, they just let him loose. And Chris Hemsworth uh, being a jokester is just as cool as Chris Hemsworth beating up people on screen. Yeah. Yeah, and it's good, I mean, to see how he made the character of Thor grow from, I wouldn't necessarily call it like a robotic performance in the first one, but he's very fish out of water. And just to see him be like, oh, I'm an Asgardian, and what is this strange Earth custom you're talking about? For him to actually fully embrace those Earth costumes, customs, and like that scene where he walks up and the fans on the street like say, hey, can we get a selfie and stuff? And then they... Talk about like uh, how Jane dumped him. He's like, no, <laughs> I dumped her. And, like it was a mutual get... dumping. What was that? A mutual dumping. Yeah. A mutual dumping. <laughs> well, so I and it was really cool to see like okay, Thor's a character that has grown, and we can actually accept that as well. 
That ironically ties in well with like how Taika understood the source material both as a character from the comics as well as a character in the movies in that you could see, I mean, you basically just throw the whole second movie out, but you could see where Thor came to Earth. He clearly had no idea how to uh, cohabit with any sort of customs. He was just strictly this warrior, or at least that's what they show. I mean, they didn't do a great job of that, but... Um, and that how he developed and he learned how to in, involve himself on local customs and cultures. And then it spins around where like he, you know, he goes to Sakaar and has absolutely no idea how to blend in there. And you show him having to go through and relearn that whole process again. Um, while it also kept through, through, I think this, this movie did the best job of like keeping the warrior culture that Thor has together, where like he actually just came in and just you know, beat up everyone. And then he was just a huge bro the whole time, which is exactly what a Norse God should be. Just some huge idiot bro. That's just trying to figure out his way in the the world while trying not to lift too many weights. And that's exactly what it was. There's a cool thing. And like, I don't know if I can even call him dumb, but there is like that broness to Thor, but also it's good to see that he's not just that, that there are other elements to him, which actually play really well. Uh, just some other actors I'd like to call out. Uh, I would like to add Tessa Thompson to the list of America sweethearts. Uh, she's been amazing in everything I've seen. She's beautiful, uh, but she was amazing in Creed. She was amazing in Westworld, and now she's an awesome sidekick, if you want to call her that, or just like just being a badass uh, warrior as well. That's uh, two Thor's equal. Um, I think it's really neat. Like if you remember the old Tim Burton Batman movies. When Batman's getting ready for his final uh, fight against whatever villain he's against, they do all the like close-ups of him putting on his armor and stuff. And they did that with her in this movie, which I thought was actually really cool and uh, a little different. And they didn't play it as like, oh, pretty sexy lady putting on clothes. It was more of like, hey, this is a warrior getting ready to fight, which I thought was really cool. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, just being Jeff Goldblum. Uh, he has, you you just, you just put Jeff Goldblum there and say, say your stuff and whatever comes out of Jeff Goldblum's mouth, that's what you accept. Uh, there's like one scene where he's like on other planets, I would, uh, be millions of years old, but on Sakaar and it's just that silence and that's what happens and it works like. That, that's it? Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, I mean, for this character, that works. And Jeff Goldblum's like the perfect casting cool. for the Game Master yeah. for this. He was Goldblum. Uh, and then uh, other things I would say is like uh, Doc Strange. Uh, I think I got like more out of Benedict Cumberbatch's Doc Strange in these few scenes he had that like added to what that character is, which was really cool. And uh, it was neat to see him be able to just easily uh just i mean he didn't even see like thor loki's threats it's just people he can just manipulate and move and that just speaks to the power of doc strange and i hope we get to see more of that in the next avengers film i mean i really i mean that was I, I really enjoyed that scene because it felt like it had just the amount of time and it was kind of focused on of this we know that this is a thor movie and i'm all for like having about a Thor movie, but we at least kind of know that there's other shit happening. And it was nice for them to kind of expand this universe out that says that 
while we're in the store and while the audience is currently like dealing with this store sort of uh, issue that he's kind of dealing with, everybody else is kind of growing. At least you know, Doctor Strange, right? Oh, and it's like assuming that everybody else is growing into like their powers more and more. And it's nice to kind of see. Let's step out of the universe of Thor for a moment. Let's step into the universe of the entire MCU and just show how this character is now gone from hey, I can't wear this one necklace at one point to I'm just flipping doing everything that I want, which is awesome because we saw part of this scene with Doctor Strange at the end of Doctor Strange. Um, so I think that was a kind of a cool, a very very cool moment that we actually kind of saw. Yeah, and it's starting. It's cool to see him start to link like the uh, cosmic and the um, and the magical worlds, but also like the earthbound worlds as well, and just see how are they all going to play with one another. Um, last couple things I'd mention because there's a lot of cool wins. I'll let y'all uh, mention those, but I'd say Matt Damon's Loki. It was amazing to see that happen, and also Hulk butt. Oh yeah, some beefy green cheeks there. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as always, uh, I'm super pumped. Um, let's toss it over to uh, Mocha. We'll talk about some of your wins you got. Oh, yeah, I can definitely talk about wins. I had such a good time watching this movie. Um, and honestly, that's probably my biggest win of all, is that Taika Waititi finally gave us the Thor movie that Marvel fans deserved. Yeah. Um, both Thor 1 and Thor 2, in my opinion, are the worst two movies in the Marvel uh, MCU universe. Um with Thor Dark, the, the Dark World absolutely being the rock bottom. That movie is straight up trash. And it was really disappointing for me as a fan of the comics. Um, I was never a huge Thor fan when I was a kid, um, or even now that I'm an, an adult kid. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's an interesting character, and he brings a lot to the Avengers that we don't get to see from Earth's Mightiest Heroes because he's not from Earth. Um, and I felt like the Dark World just completely dropped the ball on that. And so... Seeing Taika take the story back into space, focusing on the fact that Asgardians are aliens and they usually deal with crazy alien shit, um, and just making it really funny and vibrant um, was was just great. Uh, and I'm glad that we finally have a chance to enjoy Thor, even if it is the last of his trilogy. Um, also, my biggest, my and my other biggest win for this movie is strictly the character Meek. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you guys remember fondly, but Meek is a bug in a robot suit. Um, in fact, I believe. I believe he's introduced by Korg. Korg goes, uh, and this is Meek. Uh, he's an insect, and he's got mice for arms. And <laughs> all you see is just Meek waving his arms in the air, fighting imaginary monsters. And every time you see him in the background, he's just jumping around, flailing his knife arm. And it's so fucking funny. It was the best part of the movie, in my opinion. He's such a... asking him about what's coming out of his butt. He's like, are those eggs, or is that your poop? Abbott is definitely still in his anal stage at this point (laughs) I think one one quick uh, like I guess comment to the audience um, as well as to the people in front of us doing the podcast what was the funniest joke in this movie oh that's tough was it Meek jumping around I personally was losing my absolute mind like, there was a couple things. Uh, I mean, I think Banner splatting on the bridge has to be considered. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, knew it was, you knew it was coming, but the sound effect they put in it was absolutely perfect, that it still was new. Uh, for me, Thor trying to do the lullaby. 
Did that anyone catch yes. that? It was Thor trying to do. Amazing. It's like the 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 sun's going down. The sun's going down. The sun's That I was losing my mind. Actually, uh, one I saw this on Reddit. Someone pointed it out that in Avengers one, um, Romanoff is running from the Hulk, and Thor saves her by like swinging in, swinging his hammer around. And uh, now, ironically, in Ragnarok. Uh, Thor was without his hammer, without any sort of weapons, trapped in the Quinjet, Quinjet, and then the Hulk was barreling down on him, and who saves him but Natasha Romanoff, digitally returning the favor. I, I, I can't take credit, I have no idea, it was some random Reddit user and some thread about how cool this movie was, but, uh, definitely shouts out. Any, any other, what does anyone else think was the funniest move, part of this movie? I think the part where we're actually introduced to Valkyrie and she has this epic entrance and comes in and she's like, he's mine. And then you realize she's fucking dead drunk and she falls off the entry ramp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just get in that, like the crazy arm guns and you're like, oh, okay. So she's not, she is, she's a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> I thought it was also funny. Um, when Anthony Hopkins was playing uh, Loki Odin. And just like eating grapes, and then oh, when he yeah. sees Thor actually come back, he's like, "Oh shit!" Like almost like he got caught smoking weed by his parents or something. I had a I had a really good laugh when near the end, where Thor is explaining to the group that Surtur's there because he called him called him back, and he like Ragnarok needs to happen. And they go, "Okay, so all we need to do is make sure that Surtur gets to do his thing." And suddenly the Hulk just comes flying in, is going, Rah! and starts punching him in the face, and they're like, "No, oh, like, no, oh. no, no, don't smash!" Like, Hulk see monster. <laughs> so I have I have one more. I have one more that that I absolutely lost my freaking mind over is when uh, like Thor was trying to tell a nice story about Loki. He's like, one time, he Loki t- turned himself into a snake because he knows I love snakes. And then I saw the snake, and I picked it up, and I played with it. And then it turned back into Loki. And then, like, it cuts to the person he's telling the story. It's like, oh, all right. And then it cuts back to Thor, just enough time to build a little bit of tension. And he goes, and then he stabbed me and ran away. <laughs> and, like, I... <laughs> I love it because Loki just like smiles and like giggles like that. Yeah, like, yeah. That's me and my brother do that stuff too. Uh, I think uh, I think one of the funniest things that I like, I, I guess one of the things that I like was when um, Thor was getting uh, like in the in the war pit in Sakaar when Thor uh, got picked up by Hulk and he was smashing him <laughs> like he did on uh, Loki and Loki's like, ah, yes, that's what it feels like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's such a great callback to like a movie that happened what, five, six years ago now. Like probably that, five, yeah, yeah, that, like yeah. more. Yeah, that was a funny moment because it's like, oh, that's that's good. That is rich. That is absolutely rich. I don't know. I'm yeah. gonna I gotta think about that question more because as I'm well, as and, and it's a good one because literally every single person uh, to just to comment out on the the only two people that have gone for wins so far. But, Pretty much every single person put it was funny in their wins on our pre-pro sheets, which I don't think is necessary. It's like it's underselling the funniness of this movie. Well, even when he thought he killed Meek in the end, he's like, "Yeah, uh, you know, with all the commotion, I accidentally stepped on him, and he's been dead this entire time. I just, I just felt so bad about him, and then he comes and he's like, oh, actually, no, he's alive.'" Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, if I accidentally go 
criticism because I think it it works it's just we've seen it twice now um and we see the the reflection or the empty suit and then a little later in the movie when the character really needs it outsteps Loki and outsteps Iron Man and so if you watch if you watch Homecoming and Thor 3 together they have the exact same dramatic twist um, dramatic not being like an M. Night Shyamalan twist. I mean, like, literally for a serious moment, like, they have the exact same twist where the person actually is there present in the scene. Um, I, I, I like that, but I think even both scenes are, are a little bit different. In, in Iron Man, he needed to be there, and I think one of the, uh, excuse me, and sorry, Spider-Man, he needed to be there, and one of the issues that Spider-Man was having is, like, you're not even here, like, you don't care, you don't care, and... He was like, no, I am here. I do care. I was paying attention to you. And like that dramatic scene kind of goes in that way of I trusted you and you and I told you to not to do this. And I think I think they both work remarkably well. I think the problem, the only problem with it is that if you watch the MCU MCU in sequential order, they're back to back. You know, if that same dramatic twist happened in, let's say, I don't know, Guardians 1 from 2014 or wherever, and then Thor 2 in 2017, you know, you wouldn't be as noticeable. It's just like they came out four months apart from each other. Yeah, I, I can see that, then. That's a good point. It's, I don't think it's necessarily a criticism, because I think in both scenes it, they worked remarkably well, and they really drove home... Uh, something I'm going to talk about a little bit later in this, but, like, it really drove home that point. Well, yeah, I mean, aside from the, from the humor, which, like, as you mentioned, blew it, like, all of us are completely on board with the fact that, you know, the humor in it was great. Um, the movie just did a lot of good, like, smart things in general. 
Um, it gave us more badass female characters um, for the for the franchise, but also not only badass females, but badass females who have their own agency that are like legitimate forces and don't just kind of pal around with the with the boys because they're allowed to, so to speak. Um, and shout out to Hela, for better or worse, she is the first main uh, main female villain in the MCU fr- franchise, which has been going on for a very long time now. So shout out to her to uh, for breaking that that glass ceiling. Um, Finally, what I will say is that this film, considering like it had an amazing ensemble cast and introduced a ton of new characters to the Marvel universe, between like Korg, uh, the Grandmaster, Valkyrie, Hela, um, like there are like so many more than that even, and it did this amazing job of giving us all this content with uh, without making it feel bloated. You know, the movie felt was only two hours and ten minutes, I think. And it didn't feel like it was overdone. It didn't feel like it was stretched out too long. It didn't feel like anything was really, like kind of overwhelming. It just worked, which is really impressive because there was this was a pretty hefty movie in terms of their ambition for what they wanted to get get across. Um, one thing we've been seeing a lot uh, with Marvel movies since Phase Two started or Phase Three started rather is that we've been seeing a, an increase, a gradual increase each film with just how brutal they're willing to be with the uh, with the extras. <laughs> And the characters that that die or fall in combat, um, we've gone from you know characters just kind of like getting knocked over and nobody really dies to people like being like like legitimately hurt and killed. And in this film, we had a whole lot of like straight up like deaths where people were like stabbed like through the chest or like melted. knocked off yeah melted knocked off of uh, the planet into space <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Um, and I appreciate that because. It's, it's pretty clear that they're just building, getting the audience ready for Avengers Infinity War, where things have to get really grisly. I think I talked about this in one of our last Marvel reviews, too. But it's clear, it, 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 it took another step in this film. Watching the uh, the Warriors 3 get murked by freaking by Hela and get legitimately killed uh, was really sad to see. And uh, and it was pretty brutal. Like, swords were going through their chests, blood was spurting everywhere. Um, shout out to Hogan for having that badass final fight against Hela, the last person to really stand up against her. Um, so I'm just like happy to see that going that, that direction because we need to be really the audience needs to be comfortable with it, things being really dark when we get to an Infinity War um, I also appreciated the fact that with Odin's character you know they start off the film saying hey everything you knew about Odin being a benevolent god is a lie and that he was actually a shitty person um, and, a, and a relatively selfish person and, and a hypocrite and then he dies in the film and at no point during the rest of the film do they try to rectify him or, you know, give him, like, give, like, answers or justify his behavior. He just stays a hypocritical shithead in death. And I just <laughs> like that. <laughs> I just like that from the sense of storytelling. Like, you don't have to, white, like, super, makes everything super clean. Well, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't use your same verbiage, but it did, it was interesting to see, like, you know, just because you're a god doesn't mean that you can be a good person or a, a good or benevolent person. Not, not all gods are good. Um, and it, I, I really liked more. You were talking about of Hella. I really liked a lot of her motivation that she used. Uh, and just kind of just propelled her through this movie because she was ultimately was saying, "Hey, like you guys have been living a lie this entire time. I'm just trying to tell you, like to a certain degree, right? I'm just trying to tell you what really happened. This is what actually happened. This is why I'm here." This is why all this shit, all these weapons are actually here on this planet in in the jail. And this is where I have all these beings, these like warriors that, that's actually dead. And this is why the eternal flame even like exists. So 
Um, I dislike that because she was just trying to like flush out and just say, this is all a lie. This is not about utopia. This is not about peace treaties. It's not at all about this. Um, there's a huge other part that us as audience members and them as, as guardians uh, just didn't necessarily realize. And I, and I like that because it was really, you could also hop on board and be like, oh, well, I'm kind of curious why, you know, what's propelling her to um, want to do the things she did. So, yeah. so Mocha, you might be able to, because I think you and Brown know this stuff better than I do, but they changed Hella's backstory for this. Ooh, that's going to be my next point. Yeah, it worked for me because they were able to elaborate on a lot of things that Warren just said. Where, like, it, like, I, so I never really knew her, her, like, backstory. There's a third Thor brother, right? What it was his name? Uh, oh, he's in a metal band. Blue. No, no, Balder. Close, close, because of the B. Yeah, so there's Balder, who's, like, the third, uh, child of Odin that they've never talked about. Apparently he's in, like, a deleted scene from Thor 1, I think. Um... But so, so Hella really took that role, and I, I think that the change of backstory, like, didn't hinder it whatsoever. Like, it didn't feel forced. It, like, even for the folks that read comic books, I can't, no one, I haven't seen anyone really complaining about that. So, um, it's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up, because my next point about uh, Win for this film was that, um, as you mentioned during the video teaser, there were a lot of deep cuts in this film for the Marvel fans. Uh, where they reference a whole bunch of things that exist in the actual like, comic canon. But what I appreciated the most about it was the way that they were willing to fold in a lot of different elements from the comics that were significant in their own ways into the narrative and the characters that they needed to tell the story. Um, so to, to, uh, to expand on that, Hela in the comics is the daughter, uh, the child of Loki. Um, in the comics... Thor and Loki also do have a female sister. Her name is Angela, um, and she was someone who a baby who she was stolen from Odin as a baby during one of their during one of their wars, and they thought she was dead until very relatively recently, where she came back into play. And Angela is like this crazy warrior who uses a lot of blades for fighting and is is unparalleled um, across the board uh, when it comes to just like hand to hand combat with, like, with the other Asgardians that we know. And this film just folded those two together. They took Hela's character and her look and her archetype. Um, but they put in elements of Angela. They said, oh, this is the sister that you never knew about that was exiled from somewhere else. And also, she's a badass with swords. And also, like, she's an unparalleled warrior. Um, and I appreciate that because as someone who's a big fan of the comics, I know that there's no way you can get everything into these movies. There are tens of thousands of Marvel comics from their long 60-plus year of history. This is not possible. So seeing them, like, do that with Hela or, for instance... Um, uh, the whole destruction of the destruction of Asgard at the end of the film, led by the king of Asgard at the mo- in the moment, Thor, and his crazy brother Loki, was a mirror of what happens with the Inhumans during Thanos's Avenger of uh, uh, invasion in the Infinity Arc, where Black Bolt um, and Maximus, his crazy brother, um, destroy their floating island of uh, Adelan in order to stop a villain from like moving forward and, and like threatening the rest of the, the universe. Um, so they're just folding in all these elements into the overall story while still like sticking to the canon in pretty clear ways. Um, that just makes me really happy as a as a comic fan. I, th- I thought that so it's funny because I thought the ending of this film mirrored the actual comic run, where Thor figured out that the only way to break the cycle of Ragnarok was to let Ragnarok actually happen. 
And it's, it's funny because they did a good enough job. Like, I read that, like, a month before seeing this film. And they did a very good job of, like, deflecting you away from that. So when it actually happened, I was still genuinely surprised. So, yeah. Right, that's what happens in the in the comics, right? Like they they avoid Ragnarok by just having Ragnarok. So I haven't read Ragnarok actually. Ooh. Since Thor Thor's not one of my favorite comics, so I can't uh, confirm that. But if you said, uh, but like, I'll take your word for it. No, uh, I have no idea. What, I'm pretty sure that's what I read. And so one of our listeners is definitely going to be, you know, uh, Arthuring right now. Just. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah. If, if you if you have a direct answer to that before I can get to it on Marvel Unlimited, definitely tweet at tweet at us. We'll post something on later on. Um, yeah, Thor. Thor. I mean, it's kind of like how it happens in the comics. Is Thor lets Ragnarok happen in order to um, <clears throat> to save Asgardians? It's very similar setup that Asgard is its people and not the planet itself. Um, but it's interesting because that that choice kind of uh, leads to Thor losing his hammer down the road. So, mm. Yeah. Speaking but of... It's, still, it's a really cool scene. This. Did Thor, before this happened, say, let's Ragnarok and roll? Uh, <laughs> gross. That's getting cut. Uh, did you notice the... Uh, I knew exactly. I was like, that's going to be something. <laughs> did you... Um, You're still bored up, and I'm already making jokes and shitty, so... <laughs> Partially, you Mocha, do you notice the uh, the similarities between the ship they were traveling in, uh, fleeing from a dying planet, to maybe another character that was referenced earlier in the Thor film? Wait, the orgy ship? Uh, yeah. The, no, no, not the orgy. You talking about that ship? No, no, no. no the ship at the end. So oh, the, the helicarrier from. Uh, yeah, yeah. So the helicarrier no. from Age of Ultron. Um, that references. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That references the, uh, what's it called? Um, Beta Ray Bill. So oh, yeah, well, his, Beta Ray Bill's head is on the, is on the, the, the Game Master. The Grand Masters. Yeah, so yep. his head was there, but that's the, that's the exact backstory of, uh, Beta Ray Bill, is that he, he was on a planet that was dying, so he took the remainder of that planet, put it on a ship that, if you watch Earth's Mightiest Avengers, looks exactly like the, you know, aircraft carrier that got him off of, uh, Asgard, and then flew off into the universe. The end of that story is that um, they get in, they encounter some like crazy mystical threat, and the Beta Ray Bill has to become the hero and prevent that shit from going down to save all his people. So we might get the Beta Ray Bill origin story with Thor, only with Thanos coming up. I see. Which is would be an interesting way. I still am not sold uh, on Beta Ray Bill working in a film. I, I still don't think American audiences and human audiences in general are are willing to Ready accept for bipedal horses. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just I, he might I'll be too far. That. I don't know if, he, if if I don't know if we're ready for it either. But I would also tell you that there are like an, an innumerable number of moments that have happened in the MCU where I would be like. People aren't ready for this. This is never going to happen. Um, like, name like case in point, Rocket Raccoon. I would have never thought that Rocket so, Raccoon would work for, t- for films, and they made it work anyway. Rocket Raccoon works. Uh, Korg works. Like, the people, they're more funnier sidekicks, though. And so I think, I don't know if you can necessarily do a true Beta Ray Bill, serious, I must save my people, I'm my people's defender, um, like, film or part of a film, 
without having it be funny. And I don't, I think that doesn't do justice to the character. Yeah. So, and I don't think we're ready for that. Uh, Mocha, uh, you have any more wins? Yeah, just uh, one little thing I wanted to, to add in uh, to my conversation before about folding in elements from the comics was that the character Korg, um, if anyone re- like recognizes him, they they probably recognize him from the Planet Hulk run where he was a gladiator that fought alongside uh, Hulk when he was on that planet. But it's also interesting because Korg was the first villain that Thor fought during Thor's initial appearance in Marvel Comics um, during like journey into mystery like number 83 whatever his first appearance was um korg and the the stone men from saturn are the villains and so it's really cool to see that again that folding it in like they kept the korg in the movie was still korg from the planet hulk series and more or less he was a gladiator that was trapped in this game um but it's still nice to see them folding in those elements without like without having to tell us oh this is korg he belongs in the thor universe um just seeing those two come together was really neat I want to toss over to Blue. What wins you got for uh, Thor Ragnarok? I have a couple. Um, it was a good <laughs> movie. <laughs> okay. Cool. Thank you, boy. <laughs> so, so one thing I'd love to say is there was no love scenes. Uh, this is huge for me because they could have done uh, the whole like lovey-dovey warrior tradition with uh, Valkyrie and Thor, and they didn't. They had their one weird moment where they just kind of looked at each at each other funny in the orgy ship. Um, but that was really it. Like, they, they had a mutual respect for each other, which I love. Like, I I hate love stories in action movies. I feel like it super dilutes the point of what they are. Um, and I think that there's, like, a lot that you could do using those tropes, but to enhance the main drama of the plot. Um, I was really, really happy that Tessa Thompson wasn't relegated to just a dumb love interest. Because she's way better than that. Um, but I, and I think... I saw, like, even hints of... Uh, Tess, uh, I'm sorry. Valkyrie. What's her name in the movie? They, they, she's Valkyrie. Trash Collector 1142 or 142. Okay, 142. Um, so, it, it's nice to see Tessa Thompson's character, Valkyrie. Uh, and I thought for sure they were going to do something with the Hulk. Especially because they, said, say, they kept saying with her and Bruce Banner... Uh, hey, you look familiar, hey, you look familiar, sort of things, and I thought that that, that was going to be a thing, or, it, like, in the in the future, but I'm really glad, that's a great call-out, Blue, of, um, it really was kind of centered on, like, family, and then, like, also, like, sense of, uh, uh, sense of duty, and, like, what you have to do to kind of, like, really protect your people of the world, and I don't think it, it, it and also, I think we even talked about it with, uh, Abbott had said something about, I'm glad that, you know, um, that, uh, Jane wasn't in. <laughs> Sorry, I'm glad that Jane wasn't in the movie because there could have been like Thor one and two was heavily centered around the love story. Thor one started it, Thor two continued it, and that's why ultimately that's why Thor even was in this movie to save Jane. And I'm like, man, this is just as bad as uh, you know Batman vs Superman. Like, that's silly. So. I like the fact, and I really enjoyed that that call out that you did because it, it just handcuffs it more because we don't need it. The handcuffs were off. Like Thor, especially Thor two, was completely handcuffed by the fact that it had to be a love story. Um, I would like to say this. I know we talked about the whole funny thing, but 
they knew when to scale it back. And this is what I think that Guardians 2 really, really suffered from, was that they didn't know when to not make it funny. And I think that the poignant moments in Thor were serious, sit down, I need to think about this, I need to, to like process this information, and just not laugh like an idiot. Um, whereas I don't think they could do that in some of the other films. Um, so a couple things, and then to my main point, uh, Surtur was a nice Chekhov's gun. Uh, they used him in a way that I really wasn't expecting. Uh, because again, like I, I read that they stop Ragnarok from happening because they start Ragnarok. They start Ragnarok. Um, but I forgot about it, the way that that movie developed and the way that they brought him up at the beginning, figured out what he was for, and then brought him back at the very, very end. Uh, and so I, I feel like it was an effective Chekhov's gun where, like, you, most of the time you kind of remember, like, the gun on the mantel place or that weird spell that happens to be told. They're like, oh, no, that's the one that's going to finish this movie. Whereas Surtur was kind of a nice callback that they just brought back, surprisingly. Um... Let's see. Uh, controversial, controversial thing. Hulk was a better child than Groot. <laughs> I liked him. I thought he was endlessly more amusing uh, than Groot was in Guardians Two. I don't know. Yup. Groot was Groot was cuter. Hulk was more amusing. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. if you got a baby and then you have like a, a mocha mic man baby, yeah. and then you're trying to like figure out the the difference between both. Like, that's, that's a yeah. tough comparison. Cause one, no comparison. Cause they are like on record. Competitor and Groot is never going to be competitive with anyone. Yeah, but they, they mentally, they're apparently the same age. Like, Groot was supposed to be, like, two, three. I think Hulk was supposed to be three to five mentally. So they're, they're, they're in the same toddler age group, and I think that Hulk worked a lot better than Baby Groot did. One of uh, one of my favorite things about Hulk was how it so often showed during his interactions with people how he didn't know like ways to actually express himself um, and communicate properly. And my favorite moment of it was when Thor is like in his in their room and he's moping, and Hulk just walks up to him and goes, "Thor, sad." And Thor Thor doesn't say anything, so he goes, "Thor, sad," and he pushes him like down, like he's just trying to like get him to notice him, but he doesn't know how to act in any way that doesn't involve like being physically aggressive. And it was just super adorable. And or funny or he throws the shield, and Thor's just like, "You shouldn't have thrown a shield. You could have killed someone." <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. I was like, "Yeah, I, I don't know. I thought he was the better toddler." Um, so two, you know, it's like two men and a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would, I would, pay a lot of money for that. This Loki's face, like when Thor says, "Hey, look who it is," <laughs> just like craps his pants automatically. So two things. I need to get off this planet. Yeah, right. Seriously, and then he saw Thor get ragdolled in the same manner. I'm pretty sure they just reused the animation on that one. It was, it was, except for there was like one less smash. Right. But otherwise, it was almost the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah seriously. So, two things. Mocha, you, uh, you brought up a good point that I extrapolated into also a good point, in that I think this movie did a really good job of having family always knows. Like, this movie showed the ignorance that we put up with in our normal day-to-day -day life with the ones that we care about and the ones that we love. Like, the fact that Thor knew that his brother was going to betray him. It was like, it was one of those things that, like, they didn't touch upon it at all in, in um, 
the the Dark Elves movie, The Dark World, where someone who's grown up with someone else in whatever sort of capacity, whether it's, like, brother, sister, mother, father, best friend that you've known for forever, like, you know what they're going to do ahead of time. And even if it's something that's self-destructive or against your your best interests, you still know what that's going to be like. And I really think that this movie showed that regardless of emotional, perceived emotional intelligence, you always know. Like, Thor knew his brother was going to trick him. Thor knew after finding out about his father that his father didn't fully trust him. And that he knew about himself that he would never be the king. He, like, he just knew, like, this is not for me. I can't do this. Um, after getting to know his sister, he realized that who his sister was as a person and how to fully use what she was against her. Um, and I think that for emotional intelligence, as funny as this movie was, it was remarkably on point. Like, you could go through and see a true family dynamic that maybe you hadn't seen since Civil War and then maybe certainly well before that. I can't think of another superhero movie, maybe besides Civil War, that fully captured that, like, we work together in a superhero capacity um, that act like actively captured the dynamics in a real life situation. I would argue that comes up in the Avengers, um, both of them, because Tony and, and, and Cap at the very least spend almost all of their on screen time arguing in both of those movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very much like a tolerated relationship. They both understand like their significance, but they need to put it aside, but they still actively argue and don't seem to really like being around each other too much. They're also weirdly brothers, which is Whatever. But I think I said Civil War because I think that's the the absolute pinnacle in that relationship of, like, Mm -hmm. the brother versus brother side of thing. Ironically, an easy way to describe the Civil War. Um, But, but yeah, so it's... I think that they they did a remarkable job for something that everyone's taking out of this movie that it was a funny movie. If you look at family-based emotional intelligence, this movie crushed it. Um, Flipping gears completely now... Um, I think my last point is that this movie, pow- like, it put the storyline ahead without necessarily beating your head over it. Like, there was references to Infinity Stones, there was references to A Greater Threat, there was references to all the things that we've been working on. In fact, including, like, I think there's nothing better than the post credit scene where you see Thanos' ship, but it never explicitly says Thanos' ship. So... I was talking to one of our our podcast mates, Guillermo, about this, where uh, he was really worried that, like, we're two movies away from Infinity War and that there's nothing that's actively getting Thanos involved and pushing that storyline around. And I would argue that, like, it is freaking impossible to put butts in seats on a movie that people might not have seen any of the Iron Mans, any of the uh, Captain Americas, but they just, like, kind of happen to see a commercial and decide to check this out. You don't want to get overdriven by, like, this narrative that's been going on for ten years. Um, yeah, you got, like, two stones left, and you got, you're two movies away from Infinity War, but who cares? Right, you still have to put butts in the seat like it's the first movie you've ever made. That being said, you also have to put butts in the seat that have been there from the very beginning and like are actively in- engaged in this. And I think that it really did, a- it balanced that so unbelievably well. Two things that I'd really like to say um, is that Thor turned OP as shit at the end of that. 
Like Thor Force. Dude, there is in no way, shape, or form that Thor should ever lose to Captain America or Iron Man in a fight. Like, seriously, that dude should just, like, mop the floor with those idiots. Like, they're great Earthbound characters, but, like, he is a cosmic being, and he is not bound by the Earth, like, oh my god, this sounds so nerdy. Um, he's not bound by, like, the Earth constraints, and, like, this movie fully showed that he is coming to his own as a powerful character. The other thing I would like to say is that Strange cameo was beautifully done in the fact that they, in five minutes or less, showed that he went from just an average sorcerer to, like, this crazy OP powered uh being that can compete with someone of that like power level broly for example um and (laughs) and so and so so yeah right uh it really just like when thanos comes along this movie did a great job of showing and not telling that these characters should be adequately like equipped to fight against, uh, like, a being like Thanos, and when he wipes their ass, when he wipes his ass with them, it's gonna be... (laughs) Thor, God of Tissues. (laughs) When he he uses them to wipe his ass, he is going to, like, it's gonna be that much more impactful. Also, as a side point, uh, Captain Marvel's coming out in about a year, and there has to be some other character... What? Spoiler. Whatever. Whatever. There has to be some other characters that can compete with her. Like, I think that there, there just can't be, like, one arbitrary character that is that much more powerful than any single other person in the MCU. And I think that uh, Thor Force, uh, Thor, and Doctor Strange at full power completely level the fields there. Yeah. Nerd ran over. You can do something else. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much. Um, let's toss it over to Abbott. Abbott, what are some wins that you have on Thor Ragnarok? Yeah, I have a couple, uh, some serious wins. Um, but before I get into that, I want to toss a couple things to you guys. Of course. Two things that have been burning through my brain as we've been talking that I've been thinking about. Going back to when we talked about Korg kicking the ghost hologram away. Do you guys think that was a callback to um, Hemsworth's character from Ghostbusters? Do you think that was Taika Waititi's weird little uh. throwback to being like, oh, hey, you're Kevin, you're dumb, you think it's a ghost? That's I don't hate good. that. Yeah, I do. But then wait, this one, remember when they're getting ready to go into the Coliseum and Korg picks up the three-stake fork and he's like, oh no, do you think this would be a good weapon? And Thor's like, no. And he's like, oh yeah, this would only really be good if there were three vampires huddled together. It could be a callback to what we do in the shadows. Absolutely. That is <laughs> <laughs> those three guys, that, it, those are three flatmates that live there. The yeah. one in the basement didn't count. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I love that one. I it think the Ghostbusters is really good. What do you say? Pete did count. <laughs> did he though? He did. He's a nice guy. <laughs> Kept to himself. That's a good one. I didn't even think about that. I've been thinking about it the whole time. I was just like, holy shit. Like, he's so good. He wrote his other movies into this movie. Which he would definitely do. He would totally do that. But he wasn't a part of Ghostbusters, was he? No, but he was probably poking fun at Hemsworth for being uh, in that movie. For sure. Was the there film. an eagle or a shark in this in movie? The <laughs> there was... No, but I do have a comment about sharks. So, uh, I recently had been going back and reading some Thor stories because I haven't really, Thor isn't one of my mainstays, like Mocha was saying, but I read, um, Jason Aaron's run on Thor, God of Thunder. Oh, yeah. There. 
there's a scene with young Thor because there's a part in the story where it's young Thor, modern day Thor, and old age uh, all father Thor work together to fight this guy named the God Butcher. And there's a part where there's uh, space sharks that devour dead bodies that are floating through space. And young Thor's like, oh shit, there's space sharks. And later he's riding a space shark whilst having two other space sharks in either hand using them like nunchucks. And I read that and I was like, well shit, I'm ready for this movie to be absolutely shitballs, wackadoo, crazy, crazy nuts. And I got that when Hulk suplexed Fenrir the crazy giant <laughs> devil wolf over the edge of the world, over a waterfall, I, like, screamed because that scene was so fucking amazing. He just yeah. suplexes him right over the edge of the world. It's amazing. It's awesome. Like, they, you have this, un- this universe of gods, and, I mean, we'll see it eventually, like, a being like Thanos. Then you have Bruce Banner that he gets really angry, and he's, like, this, this physical force that, just goes to town on things. It doesn't matter like what level he thinks that other creature is at. He's going to attack it if he can. Yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of forces of nature within the Marvel cosmic universe. Like the Phoenix is considered a force of co- a force of cosmic nature. You can't stop it. It just barrels towards you. And Hulk is definitely like Earth's like cosmic force of nature. Where if it's yeah. if it's coming at you and you're in its way, it's just gonna go through you. Is not much. I, you can I think if the Phoenix Force was coming towards Hulk's way, it's, Hulk would still try to find a way to punch it. <laughs> <laughs> but then beyond that, like my other wins, um, Jeff Goldblum uh, above and beyond one of his greatest performances since uh, Transylvania Six Five Thousand. Another or Earth Girls are easy. This is above and beyond one of his best performances. Amazing. Even the stinger at the end. I'm not going to ruin it for people because it's funny. It doesn't ruin anything, but you have to stay till the end to see like his little final like hurrah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, or owner of the knot store on Portlandia. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, additionally, I think um, this movie almost pulls a, a, an X-Men where it basically says, hey, yo, you don't even have to worry about watching the first two movies because we know they're kind of the weak link in the Marvel Universe. Here's this weird little play starring all these other people who weren't in any of the other movies but are so epically awesome as playing these other parts. So you basically see the story of the first two movies that are also inferred throughout and you can kind of just pick everything else up very easily. So you could... I think, in my opinion, you could kind of just watch Thor Ragnarok and be like, oh, okay, I know where we're at. One thing, one thing that I'd like to say about that is that um, they busted that one huge nerd thing in, like, three seconds when Hello's walking through Odin's vault and they just walked up to the <laughs> fake Infinity Gauntlet and just says, it's a fake! <laughs> like, everyone saw that in 2008 or 2009, which is like... Oh my god, it's the gauntlets. There are two of them. Oh. It's like, no, no, it's just a fake. Good move on. <laughs> the, one, the one thing about that, though, is if the, if the gauntlet, real or fake, if that gauntlet is in that vault, they need to know that it has to fit a hand that big. So they have to know that someone like Thanos exists. Currently, at this nexus, like the only people that know that Thanos exists are like the Guardians, kind of. Well, so. Everybody else is like, who the fuck's hand is this big? So I had a I had a good fan theory. Shaq's like winter mitten. Like what's going on? So I heard a good theory that Thanos is such a master tactician that he knew that Odin was dying and that he would wait until Odin died until he could make his move. Which Odin does die in Thor Ragnarok. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, 
And so that would be the catalyst for him to actually. So I think it's, I think to your point, uh, Abbott, it's inferred that Odin would know that Thanos exists, but he would also know that Thanos wasn't a problem as long as he's around. Did you guys hear about this? Uh, I think my roommate was talking about this theory that I don't know if it's going around. It was kind of like common knowledge. Um, but we hear that Thanos is courting death. Yeah. And now in this movie, we get the goddess of death. Are you oh, talking about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, I've been thinking about that. Yeah, I thought going into this movie would be interesting. Thanos' relationship with, with the concept of death is extremely important to his character. Um, and I don't think that they're going to introduce the abstracts, the cosmic abstracts in, in the MCU. I could be wrong. Um, but death itself, as an abstract thought, is its own theme. Um, yeah. I really thought that they were going to end this movie with Hela getting introduced to Thanos or getting like thrown off of Asgard and wind up with Thanos later on, and she would fill that role. Um, I don't think it's going to happen because right on <laughs> she got murked pretty damn hard by Surtur's sword. So I don't know if she's. I don't think she's coming back. She went out. She went out in a pretty badass manner, though. Like oh, cruising yeah. that like steel stakes uh, skateboard up towards a god. Good for her. She took a few swords through the heart. I don't think she's dead. I think she's definitely going to come back the same way the Red Skull is going to come back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I'm going to go into a couple of the wins. Uh, I want to give a huge shout out uh, to my boy, Evan. So Evan says, uh, Kate Blanchett killed it. I mean, oh my God. Freaking powerful and sexy. She did an amazing job. I'm reading, obviously, verbatim. Heimdall is always a cool character, and I'm glad they had him in the movie. Oh, yeah, wait, that's a good point I forgot to mention. Is yeah, that, no. In my opinion, at least, Heimdall has paralleled Thor in his like evolution throughout the last three movies. In the first movie, he's kind of introduced as this like, robotic guardian. The second movie, he gets a little bit more character, and then like in the third movie, he's this like badass guerrilla rebel guy, like yeah. leading the leading the charge. He does everything. He's awesome. And like not only does he know how to fight, there was this awesome, awesome, and I really, really hope this scenes happen. Non spoiler because we already told you that we were going to ruin this uh, movie for you and give you everything. I really hope that this uh, foreshadowing of Thor loses an eye in this movie uh, and somehow gains the power of Heimdall eyes, Heimdall eyes in the future, uh, as we've seen that he kind of gives him his eyes to see what's happening on Asgard. And I really hope that scene actually happens. You, you know what I'm talking about? So you want him to steal Idris Elba's eyeball? Well, Idris Elba, <laughs> the guy who plays Thor, is the same person. Yeah, yeah. He just puts a lot of makeup on. Yeah, I don't see color. It's so fine. you want him to pop one of one of um, his eyes into Thor's socket is what you no, want. No, no. Heimdall's gonna die, and he's gonna and he, like he's gonna have to give his power to somebody, and that power is gonna be Thor. It's and, like Naruto. But does he have? But does he has that power though? Let's Here's the big question. Heimdall's Heimdall's power is to be able to see at any moment any threat to Asgard. Not to see everything, but just the threats to Asgard. So, does he still have that power now that Asgard's gone? That's tough, because the way that they are talking about it in the movie, I don't know comics as much, but in the movie, they have mentioned that Heimdall has the power to see anything. And that's why he he can always see what's what's going on with Thor, with everybody. Oh, so, let me clarify that. In the comics, Heimdall at all times can see any threat to Asgard. He uh -huh. can 
choose to see, like, focus on any specific thing at any time. Uh-huh. But at all times, he sees every threat to Asgard. So, yeah, that's a good point, Mocha. I don't know. I thought, I thought established... We're not, we're not giving you an argument. But either way, this movie was... I thought I'd do it. I'm just making a point. <laughs> oh, let's not talk about... So, I really wish Heimdall was in the Dark Tower. Take out whatever gunslinger. Just put in Heimdall in the Dark Tower. You've got a movie that's at least a B+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> that's... Take out Heimdall, or put Heimdall in the Dark Tower, and then instead of uh, Matthew McConaughey's character, put in Matthew McConaughey's character from True Detective. Dallas Buyers Club. I thought you were going to say the Lincoln commercials. Let me talk about what wins. I'm not going to retread. I'm not going to retread. We hang out too much. Anyways, uh, biggest thing I thoroughly liked about this movie was overall the dialogue from scene to scene. I talked about this before. Um, I really like, and I think what Brylin mentioned as well, there's a lot of cutbacks, there's a lot of call-outs, there's a lot of foreshadowing, there's a lot of other movies. Like, this dialogue truthfully propelled the plot, and it made just about every sequence and every scene, and even tied certain sequences and certain scenes together. And that's really, really difficult to do. I think even a movie that, you know, I, I arguably I missed, but I do want to talk about that... We talked about Blade Runner, and I think that Blade Runner had a really, really strong or really intro- like introductory uh, plot in like a circumstance in which a lot of the dialogue kind of made sense, and it traveled from scene to scene, and it also had a lot of different callbacks and kind of made sense. Blade Runner, the newer version, 2017, not the other one. And so you have this sequence in which you have a lot of comedic performance, and you have a lot of stuff that's happening, but it's also controlled. And you have, even for the opening scene when Thor is introducing himself about what's happening, he's doing his own voiceover, which I thought was, was great. And But then he then goes from that sequence to the next sequence, like he's just spinning around. And he, like Blue was talking about, one of the funniest moments, he's like, you're a son of a bitch. And he's spinning around and asking him to wait, wait, wait. Taika, like, Taika Waititi has great and strong dialogue. And the two other movies that I've seen this happen in, that was really, really good, and I wish you guys, you really need to see Hunt for Wilder People, was also, the, the dialogue really propelled both of these movies together, and it just made it even better why people would want to keep watching the movie, because you're also way more invested and interested in just watching it and knowing what's going on with these characters about the dialogue itself. So that was by far like the best uh, part of the movie for me. I like the Thor, I like the Hulk, um... It was nice. Obviously, going to this movie, I didn't watch any of the trailers, but this was tough to not watch a trailer for because it was literally everywhere. I knew Hulk was in the movie. I didn't think Blaine Chat was not in, wasn't in the movie, so I think that was awesome. Um, it was going to happen. Yeah, Mocha? I actually went full Warren for this movie and did not watch anything except for the very, very beginning of the first trailer. Um, so I went into this movie knowing that Hela caught the hammer, I did not know that Hela then crushed the hammer. So I had this really delightful moment where I, like, what the fuck moment where she broke the hammer. And I was like, oh, shit. I thought going to this movie that she was just going to take it from him. Yeah. So it was was awesome to see. I didn't even, like, I didn't know that scene was happening, especially because I didn't even know that even, like, just happened. So it was pretty cool to see. Um, I like the fact that, you know, it really raises the stakes of this movie because we, in this movie we see 
Thor gets out of sticky situations because of his hammer. Mjolnir gets him out of a lot of shit. So what happens when that's destroyed? It's almost like you had a special relationship with this hammer. With with that hammer? (laughs) The hammer is his penis. Uh, I'm going to call my penis Mjolnir. Anyways, so uh, it was awesome to think that... I definitely thought you said mother. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is the name of it right now. That's the only with an exclamation point. Uh, This is getting cut, so shut up, Mocha. Anyway, so if it's getting cut, I thought that was an awesome moment that they got rid of the hammer fairly early, so that there's something else that we have to kind of figure out. Uh, How is he going to like live without it? Right? It was like. this is my power, this is my power, this is my power. This is a, a pretty big trope, right? But this is my power, and arguably, I think Blewett has a point, because when Spider-Man loses a suit, he feels like he's worthless, and then he finally finds himself without it, and then he gets it back. You know, he gets a different power, and he, he doesn't even need it, because the suit doesn't make him, he makes a suit, you know, all that stuff. So, I can see that. But another big point, like, there's a lot of wins. There's a lot of stuff that I like about this movie. The one thing I really will call out on was I like how they, this was arguably, like, another Thor, uh, 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 excuse me, another Hulk movie. Arguably the only Hulk movie that we may actually get. But I like how they are already starting to flush out this character a bit more of, you know, Bruce Banner. And we don't really know what actually happened, but apparently we find out that Hulk has taken over Bruce Banner's life. And... Bruce didn't even know what even happened. And so they introduced an entirely new sort of plot or problem, potentially of who's going to be who, what's, what's going to happen right now. Is it going to be Incredible Hulk, which Bruce Banner is not going to be there, or is it going to just be uh, uh, Bruce and, and Hulk just is not in control? And I like the fact that you have Avengers 1, where Tony and uh, Bruce really bond together you see that friendship flourishing about people doing like super super being being super smart and nobody else is on their same plane and then in this movie thor is like yeah bruce you're awesome everybody likes you yeah you're amazing but we kind of sort of need the hulk right now like sorry but we know that thor also like really really meshes well with hulk and you see that sort of dynamic so I like how they're introducing something a little bit. They kind of planted a seed and to know that there's a, a bit of a struggle happening. Even when seeing Natasha to kind of calms him down in the actual plane, that's just building on a, a bigger moment of, well, this is a, a, a story arc that's happening. Of now, what's going to happen in the future? Is he, Are they ever going to coexist in the same body or not? And these are some of the questions that I always kind of think about. Um, there's a, a million other things I really liked about this movie, uh, but... That's a big win. I'm just glad that they're all, they're really perpetuating some of these characters a, a bit more, especially Hulk, because we know, arguably, he may not get his own film. So it's nice to see two big Avenger sort of characters, Thor and Hulk, get a lot of character development and a lot of growth in this movie. And everything with Doctor Strange, even for the fact that you have these comedic bits, and I think this was really funny, too, going off of Blue's, uh point, uh, you have Thor calling for Molnir to come down that's in the shape of an umbrella and it just trashes everything. As you hear everything breaking in the background, it's just like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And it finally comes to him. I thought that was a very, very one, part. One thing, does anyone know if uh, Scott, what is it, Derrickson, um, was involved in the production of this movie at all? I don't know. 
Yeah, me neither. Because I, I think that the scenes that Strange was involved in was completely different in editing, uh, tone, I guess. I don't I don't know actually the real technical term of it, but like the editing style on the Strange scenes was completely different than the entire rest of the movie. It's like they did, they did a like a 5-minute mini film inside of like a this a larger, you know, film. I can see that. I I I can see that. I like how they did it because they were not in control of what was happening, and clearly Stephen Strange is going to... Like, I like how they did it. I don't know exactly the entire... I don't know exactly how to explain it, but I like the fact that Stephen Strange knows, because he's a cocky son of a bitch. He already knows that he's stronger than both of them. Yeah, the whole, like, uh, I'm done with this. Voom! Yeah. Done! Okay, see you later, bye. Yeah. No, so... But, like, I think it's it's hard enough for a, a director to establish a solid, like theme for a film you know like theme meaning like emotional aspects uh editing sound like all that but to take a five minute break and establish a completely separate concept for a film that's very impressive like just you know from a, a filmmaker's perspective well as much as we love this movie there are some things that you know, just didn't quite work. I don't want to toss this over to Mocha. Let's start with you. And it says, like, Mocha, is what's some things that just didn't quite work for Thor Ragnarok? I'm going to try to keep this really short and succinct um, since there's a bunch of us and I know we're all going to have different things to talk about. My biggest, biggest criticism for this film was Odin. Um, and I say just Odin because his character as a whole, like presented a whole bunch of problems and a whole bunch of questions that I was just annoyed that I had to think about after the movie. Um, here are just a few. Um, so, uh, Thor 2 ended with a very dramatic cliffhanger with the reveal that Odin wasn't in Asgard anymore. Loki was, and he was impersonating him. That was the big hook at the end of that movie. This movie doesn't tell us at all how Loki managed to exile the All-Father in the first place. Um, we're just told, oh, he's in exile and he hasn't come back. So, and with that in mind, we find Odin later on and he's in Norway just chilling as a human. If he, Even if he didn't want to return to Asgard, which it seemed was the case in the film, why would he have been so willing to leave Asgard ruled by Loki, who he knew was a bad king and was not the right king that he wanted on the throne? Odin only wanted Thor on the throne. So even if he was exiled and had a chance to come back, like why wouldn't he have come back and just choose to chill in Norway for the rest of the time? Um, he knew that Hela was a threat and had known this his whole life because the last thing he tells Thor and Loki is, hey, when I die, Hela's coming back. Be ready, she's going to be a tough nut to crack. If he knew that she was coming back, why didn't he say, why didn't he do anything about it in his time? Or why didn't he be like more, I don't know, have a bit more of a sense of urgency when he was talking to Thor and, and Loki? Um, you know, when he's telling him about it, he's like, oh, there's this woman, her name is Hela. She's going to come when I die. And then we have to figure out, like, figure out on our own that she is, A, worthy of wielding Mjolnir. B, apparently just can't die no matter what. Like, all these insane things that he could have just told us during that nice little, like, gaze out into the water. Yeah. Um, if, if Loki and Thor hadn't, didn't show up to see him in his final moments, like, what was his plan for when he died and Hela came back? He knew that she was coming. Thor is the king of Asgard and loves Asgard. Like, it doesn't make sense that he didn't do anything about it. Um, 
if Asgard's throne was taken by a brutal campaign the way Hela said, how come none of the other realms have any sort of history on it? I can get by with the notion that, oh, they scrubbed it from Asgard's history and like they whitewashed things there. But there are eight other realms. Let's go with seven if you don't consider concern Midgar, aka Earth, because they're a bit, you know, uh, unknowing about things. Thor regularly visits all the other realms. His warriors three are each from a different. Like, each of them are from a different realm. No the one only else... realm that seemed to be very adversarial was Jotunheim. Right, and like no one, yeah, no one else seems to have any rem- care or remembrance of the days when Odin genocided across the universe. Um, <laughs> Why? Here's another one. Why did Odin turn into fireflies when he died, and no other Asgardian ever had that happen? That's you can Josh say, w- what? The Josh Whedon reference. He turned into angel dust. If you he can... started that stuff, <laughs> you can say he got Dave Chappelle high. How do you think Thor got lightning to shit out of his eyeballs? <laughs> no, 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 no. But that's different, right? That's I established. He's a god. But here's why. Abbott, hold on. <laughs> Here's why it's weird that all, that Odin turns into fireflies to me because tons of Asgardians die across from Thor two to this movie, and all of them just fucking die. Yeah. Like, and if it's maybe it's a special thing that oh he's the All Father, so only he gets to turn into fireflies. Well, then why didn't Frigga, the All Mother, turn to fireflies when she died in Thor two? No, she just died, and then they lit her body on fire and threw her boat out into space. Like. <laughs> There's no reason for him to die that way, but he did, so whatever, I guess. Um, I don't know, there was just everything about his character in this film was rushed and just felt like they just wanted to get past it to get to the fun of it, which is, I understand it's fine, and honestly, given how much was in this film, that is the spot that I would have wanted to have the least amount of focus, but like so much of it just didn't care about uh, like everything else that was established in this film, or any just natural questions that come from the narrative. I agree and disagree. I agree with you, Mocha, that the, it was Rush, and I really wanted some more information from it. Um, my thing about it is, I don't, you know, it's an agree and disagreement. I just didn't want Odin in this movie unless it's some sort of weird flashback that only him, like Thor and Loki and Hela, like they all have this weird power because they are well, sorry, actually, just really Thor and Hela, can still see, um, you know, Odin because of, like, he's already dead, he's already died. So I really wanted to, in, like, how would I make this movie better or, like, maybe a different change? Already kill off Odin when uh, he's banished uh, after Thor 2. He actually dies. He's dead, and that's already happening. And so when they actually go to that place, they find out that he's actually already dead. And they kind of see a couple of things in flashback, really only Thor, sees it in flashbacks. And arguably, arguably, right, I, I think it would have been pretty interesting to see that Odin would have died when Thor had that flashback in Avengers 2, right? You remember oh. that flashback with the pool scene and all that shit? Oh, yeah. It's That's the, in uh, Age of Ultron. It's the vision it, of Ragnarok. Avengers 2, I know. That's Avengers 2, yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I think that would have been it would have been a, a little more effective to know that when he's having that flashback and in that flashback also Heimdall can't see whatever. Um, if Odin would have died at that point and that's why he had the flashback to know that that sets him on his journey and that also links it between two and three. And when they actually go to that place that you know Doctor Strange think that he may be for some reason he's actually not there because he's already dead but there's like some weird remnants of him. I think that would have been interesting for it. 
that would have definitely been interesting. The only problem with that is that his life force was the only thing keeping Hela at bay. And the moment he died, Hela showed up. So yeah. like, which is which is fine. Like you know, like it's they they wrote themselves into that corner. This felt to I, me like I, I agree. Like so, I said, like, there's there's parts that I definitely agree because I didn't like I didn't like a lot of stuff that happened there because it really slowed down the movie and it made it way too convenient. Like you said. It's way too convenient for all that shit to happen at the same time, at the same moment, that the moment that he dies, Hela pops up, they get transported back to Asgard, and boom, she's fucking kills a bunch of people, and that already happens. It's it's way too quick, it's way too convenient at that actual time. Um, the only thing that I'm wondering, and I'll kind of pose this question to, I guess, the group and you, is, you know, if you killed a bunch of people in your life with your daughter, yeah. thinking that this is the right if, right? <laughs> And thinking that this is the right thing to do, and then you finally meet somebody that you have, a, like you have a son. You you, you found that your wife has a son, and he's taken over. So you need to like reform yourself as much as possible. Like you probably don't want to bring that shit up either if you want to bring your sons now because he has two children after he's already banished his daughter. You probably don't want to bring them into that that hatred that you've already built for yourself, that legacy, that dynasty that you really want to try to make people forget and so if he's that ashamed of it for that long years and gods in this realm like live for a long time he probably wouldn't want to be too excited to share that information he probably don't want to share that stuff and that's why he probably didn't tell them until he was he was already dying it's murky but i can see it you know yeah I mean, that's a good point that on odin's side yeah he would cover that up but if you look at all the realms and all the universe i mean grudges will stay and like someone that was impacted by this half a million years ago there might be people that still remember and you don't get a lot of there's not enough world building to satisfy that side of the story for sure i mean i, I, hit, I think it'd be interesting i want to like want to toss to you because i'm at, going off of brown's point i'm super interested to see in thor one when they're on jodenheim He's straight up murking and killing people, Odin is, and he's still, like, we know that he steals his his son, and he's a frost giant, and so that's an interesting tie back from when I'm a one to three, and we already, we know that there's some, not quite, like, there's some shady shit going on, and I think that's an interesting concept. Yeah, so, so you're absolutely right, the problem there is that Dark, dark, dark world is the dark horse, right? It's the it's the problem with this whole series, and this this movie did everything it could to like fix its problems that it had started there or had continued there and get the the movie back on course for like a brilliant future. My big thing with Dark World is that they focused it on Earth and Jane Foster, and that shouldn't have been the case. What they should have done was focus the entire movie on the different wars that were going on throughout the nine realms that Thor was spending his time. Um, with the uh, Warriors 3 stopping in the intro to the movie, those adventures should have been the film. And on each of those worlds, we should have seen people who were... We should have seen Thor have to come to the terms of the fact that people on these planets are still rallying against his father, and he doesn't understand why. And if that was done, then that makes sense when you go into 3, and Odin says, hey, listen... Uh, or Hela shows up and goes, hey, your dad and me fucking genocided the universe, and that's why, like, that, and that's why people hate him. Like, that would have made sense. But, of course, Dark Dark World was shit and focused on Earth instead of focusing on Thor and Asgard. Um, so I think that's where, where that falls through the cracks. Well, the thing that I mentioned about Jotunheim was in number one, not two. 
No, no, that's fine. I, you're right. I, I, can't, I can't defend two. That shit, like, that was tough. But I like the fact that, like, I really wish two was about that because it would have, it really would have built up to the fact that Odin wasn't a good dude, you know? And I think that would have been helped for some of these things that you're actually kind of having or some of the issues that you have with Odin. Ultimately, I, I think Odin really suffers in this movie because of one, the number movie, number one and two. We've seen this guy in two other movies, yet this is the most that we've gotten out of out of him when he's dying, and it's kind of a, it's a bit of a waste because we're like, what the fuck? We could, we could have got way more information beforehand, but they chose not to say they chose not to tell that story. Well, that's when they exposed the new uh, the, the picture when the the painting crumbles and you see how shit really was. I was like Odin, more like Woden. Cut it. <laughs> you guys are just talking too much. I thought it was great. But yeah, overall, there were other things that I had issues with, but that was my biggest gripe, and I'll let other people talk since I've chatted a bit. So. Mo- Mocha, Mocha, real quick, uh, I think they should have made it more apparent that they transferred the Odin Force, uh, which you talked about earlier in, I th- what was it, one or two? It was one, right? Because he was, no two, because he needed to sleep to like recharge the Odin Force. I think they should have made it more apparent that he transferred the Odin Force to the Thor Force, and that's why Thor was capable of being the yeah. being that he was. Mm-hmm. Small yeah. nitpick, comic book side, but I think it should have been there. I feel like they were trying to go with the with the uh, avenue in this film of oh Thor, the lightning was in your heart all along. You didn't need the hammer. You had to, like you are the Thunder God. But in reality, and in, in the comics, the quote-unquote force, the All-Father force, is a thing. And when Thor in the future is, a, is king of Asgard, he has the Thor force that his father had in the comics prior. Like his and father that's before him? What I, what I took from all those moments where his eyes went white and he started punching people with lightnings. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, I mean, it was very clear that he had the Thor force in that moment. And I wish they just, like, outwardly said it. Because it would have been, like, a, a cool justification. Okay. I was coming up at that point too. Also, so good point there, Blewett. Uh, Blewett, any other uh, criticisms you have? Uh, three really quick nitpicky things. First of all, needed more Valkyrie. Not be literally like I. I liked her as a somewhat mysterious character. I just freaking love the art. I thought the second trailer that they did for this movie was gorgeous. Like, if you get the chance, go back and watch it. It was unbelievable, like, two-minute-long cinema. And they really focused in on Hela killing the Valkyrie uh, for, like, a good 15 seconds. And the artwork behind it was amazing. And I wish, I just wanted to see more of that. Um, again, small thing, but I just like the art direction of it. The I think that it needed a Guardian appearance. Whether I think it could have just been a Ravenger. But I think you you needed to show that Sakaar was a meeting point of uh, kind of a cesspool. And so you didn't have to have necessarily Peter Quill walk in the door, but like someone you knew from the Guardians films just to show that they had like a connection to him. They had the one Xandar reference. Starhawk come in or something. Yeah, right? Where like there's enough of like outlaws in space that we would have known one of them. Um, they had the Xandar reference that was kind of thrown away, which I, I kind of thought was cool. I wish that we saw a little bit of uh, Glenn Close and John C. Riley there, but, you know, whatever. They decided to go through a different, you know, the big anus instead of minus. Um, <laughs> the demon's anus. Yeah, yeah, the demon's anus. My, did you say instead of my anus? Uh, no, 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 my anus. 
Um, <laughs> the, the, the third thing is the third. Yeah, Mark Mark the uh, Mother Bear featuring Midas. Um, the third thing is, and this was honestly my biggest point, like my biggest takeaway from this film, um, was Scourge got totally PG thirteen. Like yeah. he was the enchant enchantress's blind guardian. He would just kill everyone without a second thought on it. And like they tried to make him like this moral person who in the end had a redemption arc. It's like not everyone needs a redemption arc. There's just some terrible people out there. And like yeah. I just wish they they made him a badass character that just killed innocent people and then ended up biting at the end because that's the ordeal scene or the the uh what's this what's it called the um the ideals he stand stood for yeah i mean i would also agree like they kind of dropped the ball on carl urban's uh, scourge just because why the hell is he even in this movie what's his point and i know they were trying it looks like they're trying to really hard to make a um a viewer's uh, surrogate for who's for a person to be in Asgard and see that conflict while the war is on Sakaar. Uh, but I feel like you don't really, he was like one extra character, not necessary. You have Heimdall, you have a character that people already know in this series that if you added more Heimdall uh, rebellion scenes and replaced the scourge stuff, been much tighter film, much better told story as well. Yeah. You also had the Warriors Three, who were in Asgard. Heimdall, well, Heimdall was in Asgard, but he was on on Lamb. But they were still a part of the Asgardian society. Yeah. I mean, they're there when she steps into the, the crossbar to start to, to fight her. But instead of having them be the first ones to die, they could have had them be the people through which we saw Hela's overthrowing of of Asgard through, at least up to the point where she killed them all. I don't know. Yeah, like you were saying, there's other options there. Yeah, Scourge ultimately ended up being a pointless character in this movie. Yep. I mean, cool scene at the end. Uh, there's a couple issues that I have with the fact that bullets killed these beings that got like was resurrected from the eternal flame. That's that you know. There's there's a lot of I don't I'm not I don't I'm not gonna pick that at all. I just thought that was a little silly, but whatever. That's how it's gonna be. Uh, Blue. Any other uh, criticism before I toss it over to Bradley? No, those are the big ones. Oh, Bradley, what you got for me? Uh, yes, my big one is, uh, even though Kate Blanchett did a really great job at chewing up, chewing up dialogue and scenery as Hela, Hela just ended up becoming another generic Marvel bad guy. She was, had snarky, snarky dialogue and then she tossed a lot of blades around. When you have a character that is called the goddess of death, uh, lean more on the goddess of death part and show us like you have this really cool thing where. She takes the eternal fire and goes into the crypts of Asgard and um, show us more of these powers where she's kind of necromantic, that she can control death. And what does that mean to control death? I think that's something that didn't get really explored a lot visually in this film that could have made for some really uh, intense, but also, um, I mean, serious visuals that could actually tell you, like, why she's such a threat to Thor into Asgard as well. Uh, one other minor um, quibble I would say is instead of taking out Thor's eye, take off his arm. 
because it's just just to give the comic book fans like what happens is that he gets his arm cut off. I think that have been really cool. You may say like, hey, that's too Winter Soldier like, but whatever. Thor with a metal arm is pretty badass. And give him a battle axe at the end of this movie too while you're at it. Yes, jamboard. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the last thing I would say is I think there should have been more Bruce Banner moments that where he's not just baffled by being on an alien planet and just saying, oh my gosh, where am I? Because I've been trapped in Hulk for two years. Uh, it's good to see Banner the scientist. So he should have been he should have been used to science some things out of like getting them off a of cigar. The man has seven PhDs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. And Dan Bob shaking his head where he thoroughly agrees <clears throat> with you there on Brylin of that I, Bruce and Banner I, moments were my favorite. Yeah, I mean, I I love Bruce Banner. It's it's a bummer because we get, you know, we have two Hulk movies out. Arguably, guys, I really love the Edward Norton Hulk. Yeah, we already I already said this on the podcast <laughs> multiple times, but it doesn't come close to the, the to the Hulk moments that we've gotten in these three movies, right? Avengers sure one, exactly two. Avengers 1, yeah. 2, and this, right? Yeah. Three yep. movies? Yep. So, it doesn't even come close, you know, in the total of 40, 45 minutes of Hulk stuff that we get on those two movies, full fe- full, full feature films, excuse me. Um, it's nice, it's great to see that sort of... Ca- Mark Ruffalo arguably is a better actor than both those dudes, so there you go. And I, I think, think that... You see that too. I don't have anything against... Um, well... I don't dislike Edward Norton's Bruce Banner. I just think that he's, like, a little too, like, svelte and muscular and put together as Banner. Like, put together in terms of his, like, like ability to interact with people. I think that Mark Ruffalo is great. He's kind of a dumpy-looking, like, regular dude. He's super awkward. Um, he's a lot like Bill Bixby from the 80s. Yeah. I, like, I prefer Ruffalo, Ruffalo Hulk, Ruffalo Banner. I think everybody. But I, I, I didn't. But I oh, didn't yeah. hate. I did not hate on Edward Norton. But I do think that Ruffalo is a better choice. I think, like, just overall as a character so far that we've seen now that we've obviously all seen Thor is Ruffalo by far is going to be like just a better sort of um, depiction of this character. Uh, and it, it would have been it would have been nice just to see more of those moments because this dude wakes he, this dude wakes up from two years. And has no fucking idea what's happening. The first thing out of his mouth was, "What happened to Sokovia?" And he's kind of freaking out. And that's it, it's a bit kind of glazed over with that. But it, it would have been nice just to be there. It was like, oh shit! Like Thor is not the smartest of people. We know that, right? But at least somebody can at least kind of clue him in or something to see somebody's kind of talking him through of some of these things. And it would have been even interesting, right? Let's even add an extra dynamic of. If Loki, who's arguably much smarter than Thor, is the person who clue him in on, hey, this is actually the stuff that you missed, and this is stuff that happened, and it's Loki and Bruce Banner just sitting, just talking while other shit's happening in the foreground, you know? That also would have been something interesting to see of, that's how that time has transitioned, and I have to come to terms with whatever the fuck is happening here, whatever the fuck is happening back on Earth, and what's happening with me, and that really kind of brings about those three things that's happening with the, and that's why I like the whole character because that's that small that one two couple scenes that we see Bruce Banner really is very interesting to see there's some lot of stuff that we need to unpack there you know 
Our show banner getting fixated and excited about like just seeing alien technology or some alien science and then figuring out like that could be used in a special way. Yeah. This is his first time clearly off the planet. So you should act like it. Instead of just freaking out, you know, we would there's some other shit that you shouldn't freak out about, but that'll I, I, hopefully that wouldn't be like the only thing that you freak out about, you know? Yeah. Anything else? Nope, that's those are my criticisms. Cool. Okay. Uh, I'm going to toss it over to Mr. Abbott. Yeah, no, I mean, you guys, like, uh, hit the nail on the head with some of my criticisms in the last few minutes. Uh, a big uh, weakness for me was uh, Hulk and uh, Bruce Banner's kind of uh, inclusion in the film. Like, I did enjoy all the, like, Hulk out scenes where he was fighting Thor, but if you think about it, like, I see, at least in the way that they portrayed in this film, like, Hulk and Banner's relationship is almost like a really intense, bizarre uh, like dissociative identity disorder where it's like imagine you got so drunk you blacked out for two years like, imagine, <laughs> that's the only way that i can relate to it is like imagine you black out for two freaking years and you have no idea what happened i would wake up and be like like i wouldn't be able to deal with myself yeah first i'd probably shit my pants and then i'd probably like look through my text messages make sure i didn't do anything dumb like like i wouldn't even know what to do i'd be like Gumby, I just like lose all. Like, I just I wouldn't be able to function. So like I feel like his reaction to that is just kind of like what I mean, huh, huh? and then it's like like next scene whatever. Then he's like, oh cool, we're on an alien planet. Like he has that moment where he's like, no, like I'll pretend to be Tony Stark. Like I don't even want to be Bruce Banner anymore. And then you know Tony Stark, Thor, like this and that, like best of buddies. No, 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 you're Bruce Banner. I know you haven't done this for a while, but you're you now. Like, that's kind of believable, but I know we're in a comic book movie, so I'm going to let that slide, but it just didn't seem like an accurate, like, representation or an accurate, like, depiction of how he would, how someone would really react to realizing they've been, like, unconscious or, like, un uncontrollable for two years. Um, but beyond that, like, even the depiction of Banner seemed like a different character for me versus other films. Like, in the other Avengers movies, he seemed a little bit more determined, a little, like, he was able to show off his bravado, his his brains, like, he was more um, forward-thinking, where in this, he's almost like Frank from, uh, Professor Frank from The Simpsons, where he's just like, oh, yes, alien technology, it's all, it makes sense to me now, we can just do this, and, like, jump through the devil's anus, like, Bleh. And even Hulk, to a degree... I didn't like his voice. I didn't like his extended dialogue. Like, I didn't think... Like, I know they were trying to make him seem childlike, but I almost preferred, like, the Hulk voices from previous films or, like, even the other Hulk movies where they had Lou Ferrigno kind of, like, jump in and, like, kind of make it very guttural and very... Like, it didn't seem... Simple. I have the Hulk. Yeah, exactly. It didn't seem simple. To, it almost seemed like somebody pretending to be the Hulk. Like, the lines of this seemed like somebody pretending to be the Hulk, um, to me at least. But even then, it wasn't, like, a huge bother. It wasn't a huge distraction. Those are my criticisms. Um, beyond that, uh, the... Not the collector. Who is Jeff Goldblum? Grandmaster. The Grandmaster's assistant who keeps giving Valkyrie shit. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, she's Topaz. trash. Topaz, yeah. Is she an actual character in Marvel Comics? Not that I'm know. aware of. I don't believe so. Like, that's, like, they gave that position and, like, those, like, few lines to somebody they just created a character but it could have been somebody maybe we recognized from another guardians film like you were saying it could have been another person yeah. but instead we got wasted on topaz and i didn't really like her character and then she just got like murked in the ship like you know dumped in a so, puddle that actress was from hunter the wilder people that oh. taika waititi did she was another callback exactly she was yeah. phenomenal in that movie and arguably that's the only reason why i think that's the only reason why she's in this movie. Yeah. So it's, 
I, I don't also I also agree with you. I don't like that. Um, what if that was like Taserface? <laughs> <laughs> From Guardians of the Galaxy too. I think he dies. I think he oh, gets killed. No, he's alive. Is he? Okay, yeah, he's alive. Yeah. He gets stabbed at the end, right? I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, Taserface blows up. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought he got yeah. But so like, there is yeah. there is a Topaz character within the comic canon. But it is definitely not the character that we got with the Grandmaster. The Topaz character that exists is a like a sorceress from like the Doctor Strange universe who uh, can okay. control lycanthropes. Like very very different character. She's a babe. <laughs> She's a babe. She's single. I mean, maybe she's from like 1952. No, 1974. I exaggerated. Age is nothing but a number. So I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give a shout out to uh, my buddy Evan again. Um, so he gave us a couple thoughts. Uh, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna go. You you done? Are you done, Mocha? Uh, I'm gonna go and and uh, say that I'm just reading it off verbatim of what he sent me. Um, so some of the criticisms that he didn't like was you know there was too much space stuff. Felt like I was watching Star Wars. I'm gonna stop you right there. You shut your mouth, Evan. Star Wars from space, Evan. No, no, there's nothing wrong with Star Wars. Shut your mouth. Next time I see you, I'm going to tell you in person. Uh, so he says, the biggest rep of the movie, though, Thor didn't feel like he was uh, learning and developing as a character. It felt like they, they forced his huge development. He didn't need a Molnir, and his power was within him all the entire time in the end. Um, I, I really, I do agree with that, and I think that was more along the lines of what we talked about before. I really, I wish, I really wish more along with Evan that there was a, a bit more of a growing phase there and it didn't just come that was convenient right it just so happened to come conveniently when he was losing he just lost the eye that more he finally of a growing less of a showing yeah exactly yeah you need to be more of a grower less of a shower I think it's fine yeah yeah our uh, Hulk's both of those oh yeah we totally saw the Hulk's butt that's what I was waiting for the Hulk's <laughs> log to show up like we saw the Hulk's butt and lucky Chris Evans got to see the Hulk's like massive green dong oh Chris Evans in this movie I didn't even know oh excuse me Chris oh, Hemsworth I- I get my white guys confused. I'm sorry. Yeah, you confused your Chris. <laughs> Chris Pratt. Is that, there's a Chris Evans, there's a Chris Helmers. Chris Pine is the best Thor. Chris Pine. Chris Pine? <laughs> Chris Pratt. Isn't there, a, isn't there a Chris Hunnam there or something? Chris Walken. Walken. He's a good one. <laughs> he, should be the next, yeah, he should be the next collector, Grandmaster, the third party. Yes! He should be the high evolutionary. <laughs> Uh, Charlie Hunnam is playing the uh, redone Thor. In the, in the, Charlie Hunnam could be hosting. Take it easy there, okay? <laughs> Take it easy there, Mocha. So some of, the, some of my criticisms, um, I'm going to go off of uh, what Mocha was talking about really quickly. Needs more time with Odin Death. Uh, really felt like it was glazed over. Uh, really felt like nobody in the actual movie cared that Odin even died or even know that he was dying. And it felt like he felt more... He felt sad that he lost a particular weapon that he had was all powerful than who raised him. So that was kind of bummer. Even didn't get any kind of, it didn't even feel like Loki even cared, which I, I definitely get it. He was way more close to the mother, but it's still time, like, at least console your brother, quote, air quotes brother there. Um, also, along the lines of what Evan was talking about, needs to have a clear establishment of when Thor actually inherited that power. If that, if he inherited that power way back when Odin died, that's very early in the movie, it needs to be a bit more clear. Um, uh, spent too much time in Sakaar. I really didn't care about that space. Uh, even the weird sort of uh, 
like a like a uh, roller coaster ride, and they're like, it, it was if like you're joining this and like all that <laughs> stuff. I didn't care for it. I, I really didn't care. I really felt like they put that sequence in because there's an IMAX 3D budget, and I'm pretty sure that sequence is going to be pretty crazy, right? I I agree oh. that you could have gone without, but that was the best Willy Wonka reference in any movie I've oh seen my outside God, of Willy yes. Wonka. <laughs> I, I get it, but it was like it's. I'd rather want to know more about the actual story because at the end of the day, no one gives a shit about that part. Like it, it's really not, and it's something that they don't need. You don't need to spend time on that. We've already on this planet a lot. We're trying to learn more about Valkyries. Like let's like unpack this character with a bit more. Like tell me more about this Valkyrie character and how she's an Asgard. Like like that just didn't. You know they really did. Yeah, I said it. Like it really kind of just rushed through that one. Rushed through that one, you know. So I was kind of talking about that. Um, I felt, and even like we were talking about here, I felt like there was moments that could have been like kind of cut, um, like the Willy Wonka scene, um, like the scenes with um, Scourge, uh, like the scenes with the, the three. Like they could straight up be like killed pretty quickly because he just didn't care. But apparently, they could have been cool um also two other things i really wish that you know hella was the goddess of war instead of the goddess of death i think that would have made a bit more sense um because she likes the battle she likes to fight and that also would have made more sense of why thor likes to fight as well that they would have been a, a bit of competing but he's the god of thunder lord of thunder whatever they want to talk about that and she's like the goddess of, of war that would have been cool. Um, Goddess of Death, like Brylin mentioned, she didn't really do anything with dead people, or she liked to kill people, but that's about it. And I think War would have been a bit more. She um, resurrected dead people, like yeah, but yeah, she's just yeah, she resurrected all those people. It was the Eternal Fire that resurrected her. If she's a goddess of death. Why doesn't she just use her own power? But everything she, everything that she did in this movie, really looked toward war, battle, fighting, yeah, conflict. Yeah, con- like. That would have been interesting. Uh, and my last thing, Thor is my favorite character. I understand this was not his movie, but that fight sequence at the end with the dog was very anticlimactic. Yeah, and that's Fenris too, and that should have been like yeah. out of the moon, amazing. Fenris, <laughs> another child of Loki from the comics. That he's that significant character that should have gotten something more than just being a dog that that ran and then fell off yeah. the side of the world. I was kind of bummed at that point. Uh, I was kind of bummed. I was really hoping that he, like, especially when he, that was a great comedic moment, like we talked about before, and then he stops the dog and, like, kind of throws him back, and then they just go off to the side. Anytime, and I said this about Pacific Rim because I fucking hate that movie, anytime you have a battle sequence that happens in water, it's garbage because it's happening in water and things aren't as interesting. Sorry, sorry. And I'm probably gonna watch an awkward movie. Say like this. Oh, yeah, this movie sucks. Yeah, no, this movie sucks. Like it's all in war. We are pumped. We are excited to talk about Thor Ragnarok. And thank you for hanging out with us very late at night. But we also really wanted to kind of get this out to you. And we will say, right, lasting thoughts and grades on Ragnarok. Uh, yeah, for Thor Ragnarok, I'm going to give it an A. It's definitely Marvel's funnest movie yet. Right. Uh, and uh, it also builds up a lot of really cool actors and potential for the future of Marvel's success in oh. the movie-making business. Uh, just some uh, nice, fun things I'd love to see on my wish list. Uh, definitely a Grandmaster Collector 
buddy movie would be awesome because there's no way those two characters are not brothers or related somehow. Uh, And also, I think if someone's over there to take over the mantle of Thor for uh, Chris Hemsworth, they've set up Tessa Thompson to be the perfect inheritor of of Mjolnir. Well, Mjolnir's no more. Well, if it comes back to life. Okay, fair. You never know. Yeah, hammers come back. Or to be a god of thunder. thunder. I think Tessa Thompson would be perfect. Mocha, lasting thoughts and grades? I'm going to go ahead and give this film an A-. minus. Um, I think this, is, this movie fixed a lot of the issues that were found in the, the first two parts of the Thor franchise, but in doing so, it has also shined an even brighter light on the flaws that exist beforehand. Uh, it's got a great sense of humor, an amazing visual style, um, but even with all that, it's super reminiscent of Guardians of the Galaxy, um, which tells me that Thor, the Thor franchise still hasn't discovered their own feel, their own kind of mojo. Um, and until they do, that's I won't be able to give them a higher grade than that. Um, but overall, it was a fantastic effort, and I'm really grateful for Taika Waititi for getting this franchise back on track. Yeah, it's, I'm kind of bummed that Kenneth Branagh was even a part of um, the one and two or like Thor's because I really would love a different director for it because I'm pretty sure it could grow into a completely different story. You know, I blew it. Uh, lasting thoughts and grades? Yeah, so I give this an A minus. It's certainly an upper echelon film in the MCU, which is saying a lot. Like they make realistically some of the best superhero films you'll see. Um, I was smiling like a freaking idiot the entire time, whether it was something that was hilarious to me or something that was just like, oh my god, that's so cool. You know, like, I, some dude jumping around with lightning is awesome. Doesn't matter who it is, especially if it's Chris Hemsworth. Um, one last point, uh, you just said something very specific that uh, the MCU has been critici- criticized on two things. One, color palette, which I think the last couple movies have done a huge huge service on separating themselves where they they've had an expanded color palette rather than the standard one um the second is cohesive uh cinematic scores so one of the huge things is like hey what's like the most famous theme song in the mcu and you really don't have a a great example except for the avengers theme which has been used in a grand total of two movies out of the 16 that we've seen um, and so I think that Mother's Bar did a great job. He did both the, I think the Thor 1 and th- one of the themes from Thor 2 in this movie. And so that is, that's huge in creating a cohesive network where like you can actually notice the themes that have come before it and then move forward because you know kind of emotionally where they, they align. Um, solidly A-, minus, like definitely wasn't the best MCU film, but is certainly not forgotten. Yeah, cool. Abbott? Uh, yeah, I gave it a solid A, um, because I think above and beyond it's the best Thor movie so far. Um, I think it doesn't suffer from Spider-Man 3-itis, where it has too many characters. I think it, it juggled them really well and kind of balanced them out really well. Um, and I think the way that it sort of leads into... Uh, where we're going in the Marvel Universe, it does open things up, like the potential for like a siege storyline, where where's the Asgardians going to end up? Are they going to be on Earth? Is that going to be an issue? So that's pretty exciting. And also something that I've been thinking about is like the possibility of like the son of the Hulk could be a thing, because that's another planet Hulk 
storyline that happens on Sakaar is his son Scar is born, uh, Brian Banner. So that could be potential. Like these are all rumors and postulations, but it could be potential. Um, so that makes me excited. Uh, enjoyed the movie a ton, and I'm looking forward to where they go with it. Cool. And uh, I will give my final grade as an A plus to this movie uh, because I thoroughly like and I thoroughly loved and enjoyed this movie all the way from the fact of the casting, from the characters, from the dialogue, from like the director to the direction itself. There's some gripes. It's not a perfect movie at all, but I think that leaps and bounds from the last movie, from all the quote-unquote source material, right, Thor 1 and 2 they're coming from, to really bring Thor and this character and this Hulk back into the void of like exactly what's happening. And it, it really does a great job. Arguably the only other uh, movie from a single character, which is not a single character movie, but you have Cap 3, you know, um, Civil, Civil, War. Civil War, is like a closer movie that really kind of like encapsulates everything that's happening with a couple other characters and really kind of brings them back to all the shit that's actually happening. So it really does a lot. It really kind of pushes the ball forward. It really asks a lot of questions. And even these other couple kind of teaser scenes are really just the, both of them, because... Because the Grandmaster's still alive, that also kind of takes it to a completely different level. And I just like a lot of these questions that we're kind of lingering on of, like, what's going to happen next. And it, not even the fact that it sets up a lot of movies, because I think that's sometimes a bit cheesy, but at least knows that this was happening in this movie, and we've gone a long way. We've gone a long distance from that, and now we know uh, kind of sort of what we're going to do, so... I'm pretty pumped about that, and uh, I'm pretty pumped about this movie. I really, really hope that a lot of people goes back and watch this movie, because I'm probably going to see it a, a few times. So, that's really cool. And with that, we will say <sighs> thank you so much for hanging out with the Downer Fun Podcast, with our special guest, uh, Dan Bob from Active Observer, and some other guy that we don't like, Kyle Kowalski. Uh, I want to talk to him <laughs> over to uh, Brylin and say, where can we find more of your work? Uh, yeah, so you can find me preaching about the Ars Asgardian Flat Realm Society, along with Kyrie Irving on Twitter, at Brylin, B-R-I-L-U-N-D. Uh, you can find uh, me um, modeling um, as a Hulk's butt double on Instagram, I am Brylin. Plus, I'll write some mini movie <laughs> reviews from time to time during that. And I'm also the host of the Gamescast on Twitch, twitch.tv slash down in front podcast. Uh, we're going to continue playing through Destiny uh, this Thursday, but also um, going to try to put together a nice little slideshow to share my trip to BlizzCon. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love to see that. I like, I like a lot of the photos, and I'm super pumped to kind of um, look into more about BlizzCon because I don't know exactly exactly what it is. So, something about Warcraft, maybe? Who knows? It's about a lot of stuff. <laughs> Mocha, where can you find more of your work? You can find me on Twitter, desperately seeking the validation of strangers, at MochaMikeLI, as the Lord intended. Unfortunately, you cannot find me at, at MochaMike, because much like Odin, the owner of that account is old as fuck and has simply disappeared into the wind, leaving me with a bunch of unanswered, frustrating questions. Um, but still, come check me out at, at MochaMikeLI. Also, follow my photography work at, on Instagram at Instagram.com slash MochaMike. And as usual, follow me on Medium to see some long-form reviews of the films that we talk about here. Medium.com backslash at Mocha Mike. Uh, thank you, Mogo. It's always great to see you on, on the interwebs. So good. Uh, Bri uh, 
blew it the Shredder Davis. I don't know how you got another last name. What? Rat. <laughs> Weird, you got two last names. I'm not sure how. Uh, where can we find more of your work? Uh, so, yeah, so we have uh, my news at everything.com. Uh, uh, that's not a real <laughs> website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> too many beers.com. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, the, my news music, uh, my news band, uh, most major web platforms. The, the bump, important thing that it, I think you should really take out of this podcast is that you should seek us all out at Jesse Rand's Jangry and Asgard's. At ymail.com. Thank you for hosting this actual one, and thank you for being a part 
of us. And there's just one other thing I want to say. Thank you so much for Evan for sending your shout-outs, because we appreciate it. We're sad that we missed you. But we will see you on that Medea actual review. Boo! Best believe, bitch. Boo, too! Bye! Bye! So, Ultron should just drive on by.